conversion. What is that? Uh, For those who are visiting today, you may not know my history. I was raised traditional faith initially, got wet as a baby, had no idea what was going on, and I was told that that was my conversion. But if you looked at my life after that point, it didn't look like someone that was living like Jesus. I then tried every other possible denominational faith, from those who had no water involved to just praying into your heart, 20-something times over 23 years. So obviously that one wasn't working. I got baptized when I was 16, but that was after I supposedly was converted simply by an altar call. And so when I look at even my own life, what's conversion? And when I had the opportunity to sit down with those who really were trying to go to the Bible to tell us what conversion is, and they asked me that question, what is biblical conversion? I couldn't answer them. They did a timeline, a spiritual timeline with me. And so I just tell them, well, at this moment, that's when, and then later, a couple years later, then I did this part that the Scriptures talk about, and then a little later I did this part. And So when was conversion? The whole thing! Is it? And as I started doing research on what today, if I were to ask the Christian world, What is biblical conversion? We would get all kinds of answers. But shouldn't there only be one? Now, you can basically simplify them into two basic sides with everything and its mother in between. Here's the two sides. Here's the first one. Some believe conversion is a continual process. Here's a quote from a some of the scholarly writers that I had the chance to interact with as I went to school. And here's his thought on this idea of continual process. It's by Lewis Rambo. He says, recently, that alone ought to scare you. Why is it recently? If this was the way it should be, shouldn't it have been as in the beginning? But that alone ought to warn you. Recently, scholars have argued that conversion is a progressive interactive process that has consequences in the community. Conversion is thus not a single event, but an evolving process in which the totality of life is transformed. So that's one side. The other side is conversion is a specific moment. Here we get one from A.D. Nock. He says, The reorientation of the soul of an individual, his deliberative turning from indifference or from one form of piety to another, a turning which implies a consciousness that a great change is involved, that the old was wrong, and that the new is right. So which is it? And some people like to go, both! See, I think the problem is, is people have confused transformation with conversion. Transformation is a process. Conversion, I believe, and we're going to look to see what the Bible says, is not. It is a specific moment in time that can lead to continual transformation. Right? But don't take my word for it. Why do we believe differently? Why are there so many options today? Something has gone astray that we can't define very easily what is conversion. How does the Scripture define it? 
interesting passage in Acts 15.3. And this is after they have gone out, they've now begun to convert Gentiles, and as you bring in Gentiles who don't have Jewish background, that brings up some interesting challenges. And so they had to come back to Jerusalem to have a council to talk about what do we do with these Gentiles who are converting. There's a moment that changed in these Gentiles' lives. And here's what we read in verse 3. When they had been sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion. Notice it's not conversions or continual conversion. It's referring to one moment of these Gentiles. And they brought great joy to all the brothers and sisters. Now, it would sure make it easier for us today if they had gone on in Acts, if Luke just could have added, what were those details? What is the plan of salvation? How was their conversion? And we might be like, why didn't he say it? Because they didn't have to back then. They were doing it. There was only one idea of conversion for hundreds of years. And then man's interpretation came into play. And began to add different ways that were supposedly made right with God. They didn't need to go into great detail, but it sure would have helped. So we're going to have to look at the other passages to see what the first century disciples, how they describe conversion. But we're given this word, conversion. I think this is interesting. Because when you actually break out that word, it's the Greek word, epistrepho which simply means turn. Now I want to ask you, is turning a process or a moment? If you're going one direction and you turn, and I'm not saying this, which way? That's what's happened to Christianity. They got so dizzy turning, they don't know which way to go. But if I'm going one way, then I'm realizing I'm going away from God, I'm confronted by the Lord, I'm confronted by His teaching of what must change, and I turn, is that a moment? Absolutely. Now, returning, that's a process. But turning, that's a moment. I like this description of conversion. Kreiselheimer says this, Implicit in the idea of conversion is that of forsaking the past unconditionally and accepting in its place a future of which the one certain fact is that it will never allow the previous patterns of life to be the same again. That's conversion. Conversion means there's a before and there's an after. So if conversion starts here and continues all the way to here, where's the before and where's the after? It's a moment. Now, I think what also hurts in this is this idea that healing and conversion are the same thing. And they're not. Jesus Himself separates healing, physical healing, emotional healing even, and actual saving of a soul, converting of a soul. He separates them. Throughout the Scriptures are separated. I was healed in a, in a weird sort of way when I was younger, when I was in a near-death experience, and I was able to get through that and still be living today. And I understood that, oh, I was saved. 
Therefore, I am saved. That's not true. You can be healed and not have conversion. And you can have conversion and not be healed. As we even heard through the prayers, guys, we have many, those who have had conversion, they're not healed. We have a lot of terminal and terrible illnesses that our own members are fighting. We've got to separate those two. Now, can God still heal whether you're converted? Absolutely. But healing isn't conversion. Conversion is a turning into what God is calling us to become. It's a moment. Let's go to this passage. I think this one's really interesting. He's, uh, the, the background is Peter had just healed a lame man. And so he had to address the people at Solomon's Colonnade who saw this miracle, this healing. And if that's all that was needed for conversion, he wouldn't need to explain anything. There you go, that's conversion, he was healed. No, this is what he goes on and he has a whole other explanation. So he explains, no, this has happened because of being in Jesus' name, who you killed. So yes, great that he's healed, but now let me talk about conversion. You killed Jesus. And because of that, something has to change. The before needs to have a different after. Once Jesus died for our sins, the before has to be different than the after for every one of our lives. And then we find in verse 17 what he says. And now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your leaders also did. In this way, God fulfilled what he had practiced through all the prophets, that his Messiah would suffer. The beginning of conversion always begins with this, a suffering Messiah. Without it, there is no conversion. Period. You can be spiritual. That's the funny thing with today's society is we use the word spiritual without even attaching the Holy Spirit anymore. That's a mistake. The very idea or quote of the word of spirituality came from Paul. And now we've twisted it to be something other than being connected to a Messiah, to a Jesus. He's suffered. It says, therefore, see, because of this moment... The before has to change. And look what it says here. This is interesting. Therefore, repent and turn back. Whoa, wait a minute. It's saying two things there. We'll get to that in a minute. So that. So it's saying, you got to do these two things so that your sins may be not wiping out of continually over time or eventually. No, it's wiped, done. It's a moment. Past tense. So whatever this repent and turn back has to be a moment. It can't be a process if it's ultimately for leading to sins being wiped. Past tense. Done. It's a moment. The seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that He may send Jesus who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. Here, Peter describes conversion in connection with repentance. How do I know that? Well, from the earlier passage in Acts, it says, in detail, to describe the conversion. Epistrepho. Let's look at this words. Repent and turn back. 
Repent, metanoia sate, because it's an imperative, it's commanding you, comes from the Greek word metanoia, which means I repent, I change my mind, I turn in my mind. But then it has to add to the mental aspect, the physical. Turn back, epistrepho. This moment to when sin is wiped involves a repenting and a turning. That's a moment, not a process. In fact, if you return to the first conversions recorded in Acts, you'll find a very similar pattern. Let's look at the pattern we saw just in this passage. You have a suffering Messiah. It always begins there. Which then leads to, oh, the before and after it's got to change. So you've got to repent. That's the, the mental part. But then you've got to add the physical part. You've got to turn back. Get back to going toward God. So your sin can be wiped out. And there's a time of refreshing. Did you see that pattern? That's conversion. In that moment there might be a process. But that process ends. It can't be extended for months, years, decades. In fact, the longest recorded conversion in the Bible is three days, and that was Paul. Most of them were one day, one night, one chariot ride. Now, did other people maybe take longer? Yes, but that moment of them realizing, I killed Jesus, He suffered for me, I need to turn, that moment, it happens, and it's done. Then you need to return transform, be sanctified, that's the process. But there's a beginning moment. And so when we look back at our religious timeline, and we can't say when that moment is, something's wrong. And that's what it was for me. I couldn't, I was jumping all over. I couldn't land on any one of them. So how can we solve this? Well, let's go to the original. You know, there's a scene called the law of the first. In any kind of writing... The first example should be the one you trust most because everything that comes after may be interpreted or changed. So if we want to know conversion and what that entails, you want to go to the beginning of Acts, not the end of it. So let's see what we see at the beginning in Acts 2. You'll find the very same pattern. In fact, as we study out the three things that testify, which I'll get to in a moment, we're going to see this pattern over and over and over again. Because there should only be one way to have true biblical conversion, not multiple. It says, Therefore let all Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. It always begins with Jesus. Take Jesus out of the equation, guys. There's no conversion. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. Not just the mind. It's not just logical. It's got to move you. It's got to, it's, it's got to put some urgency in you. You can't, you can't put this off when you realize your sin killed the Son of God. Right. And I don't just mean from a, a, a distant theological, yeah, I know I killed Jesus. No, you killed Jesus. What are you going to do about it? Picture that you were driving out of your parking lot or your garage and you hit someone. You killed them. Are you just going to keep on driving? Yeah, many of us do that spiritually. I hope you get out of the car. You take this serious. You go, no. Man, I I can't bring him back. It's my fault. If there's anything I can do for you, that's got to be our heart with God. God, I'm all in. I'm all yours. Everything you've lost, here's me. It's It's a moment. 
that radically changes your life. They said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we not believe, not in a process over time understand, what should we do right now about this? What is the moment I am missing in my life? Okay. And if you know another study, Peter was given the keys to the kingdom, right? He's the one that's going to open it up. So should we accept what Christianity hundreds of years, even thousands of years later says is conversion, or the one who was given the keys to it? I think I'm going to go with the guy with the keys. Not to the religious false teaching on conversion that is just totally being preached even every Sunday in our own country that is supposedly in God we trust. I'm going with Peter. Peter replied, shouldn't be surprised at this, pattern's always going to be the same. Repent and be baptized. If we follow the same pattern, then this idea of a suffering Messiah, you have to repent, then you've got to turn back, and we find to be baptized in the same position as return back, baptism is that moment. It's the moment we turn. There's something that goes on in that moment that is part of the conversion experience that happens and is done and then we have to continue. It has to lead, eventually, according to the pattern, sins being wiped, past tense. And ultimately to a time of refreshing, a different life than what preceded that moment. So let's see what happens. Repent and be baptized, each of you. Then it says, be baptized those who believe this is important. But if you have an other idea of conversion, like simply praying Jesus in your heart, or just you know one time saying, yes, Lord is in my heart, but then a couple years later, oh, I should probably get baptized since it's in there. That's not what it says. It's all connected. It's put together. It says, repent and. That's like condition? Like this with this? You want to turn on your, your current coffee maker in the morning? you got to make sure it's plugged in and turn it on. If you turn it on without plugging in, it's not going to work. You got to do it in order, in the order it was. This is the beginning. Be baptized even in the name of Jesus Christ, because without Jesus, it's not conversion. For what? The forgiveness of your sins. You know what's really cool about this thing about being baptized? It's in a passive voice. For those who don't know grammar, what that means is it's not something you can do. Passive voice means, to be baptized means it's done to you. It's, it's public, not private. Baptism was always meant to be as a sign before everyone. At this moment, I am turning from my old life. I am claiming Jesus, Lord. I want you to be witnesses of it. And I'm going to obey God and do what God says is necessary for conversion. And it happens to you. You can't baptize yourself. That's why Jesus commanded, go and make disciples, baptizing them. Which means all of us, by the way. Have you done that? See, that was the biggest question as I was confronted with my timeline in conversion is they got to that question. Who have you ever baptized as a disciple of Jesus? No one. Why not? It's a very clear command. There's no way to get that false teaching messed up. I mean, it's go, make disciples, baptize them, teach them to obey, which includes going, making a disciple, baptizing them, 
and teaching them. And, and it just continues. So, And then they made one statement. You can't make what you're not. I had no argument. But I wanted to be different. So 23 years of religious not conversion, I had to make a decision to have a moment where my life radically turns. Where I'm truly going to do what Jesus says, not what denominational Christianity or non-denominational Christianity tells me is conversion. And I can tell you, it changed dramatically. Within a week of my baptism, I baptized my roommate and my sister. Within the next three months, ten other people, including teammates and classmates and even complete strangers. 23 years. Zero. A moment. Turn around. Boom. And then God says, that's not enough. I'm going to send you to Eurasia. I'm just going to give you thousands and thousands. I can't even count anymore. And in a different language, just for fun. Because I didn't say go to all nations. Well, let's go. Can't someone else do it? It's a moment. So your forgiveness of sins, and you will receive. So in other words, in the same moment that you are turning after repentance, because repentance precedes it. You can't get baptized and later, now I'll repent and do what Jesus asked me to do. I was baptized as a baby. No, I wasn't. How do you repent as a a, a one-year-old? You repent, you're baptized for what? Forgiveness of sins. So at that moment, you can now receive the gift of the Spirit. All these things are connected. We're going to see that in a moment, how important that is to conversion. And it goes on, For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words He testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. He didn't say, Work at being saved over time. He said, get to that moment, you are saved. There is conversion. There is a before and there is an after. So those who accepted this message said, can I uh, do a study series for the next five years and just kind of maybe take this part first and then, then later we'll talk about baptism and then, and then maybe at some point spirits, and I don't really understand. No, it says, so those who accept the message were baptized and that day... But a thousand people were added to them. Three thousand people were added. It's a moment. It happened. Does that mean they're completely transformed and sanctified? No, they're going to need a process of continuing to become more like Christ. But there still is a beginning. So we see the same pattern. A crucified Messiah, a suffering Messiah, repent. This time now it gets more specific. It's not just turn back, it's be baptized, that somehow this and turning back are that moment. Why? So your sins may be wiped away. Past tense, forgiveness of sins in that moment. And so the gift of the Holy Spirit, that time of refreshing. Same pattern, guys. And as we look at every conversion in Acts, which we'll do over the next few weeks, you're going to see the same pattern. I think this is amazing. I like the statement that First John adds. Because there's also these elements that are essential, that testify to this moment of conversion, and ultimately to Jesus being the Son of God in context. First John 5, and this will be our theme passage for the next three lessons. 
It says, who is the one who conquers the world? But the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus Christ. He is the one who came by water and blood. Not by water only, but by water and by blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are these three that testify. The Spirit, the water, the blood. And these three are in agreement. They can't be one here, one a couple years later, and then one over here. they got to be in agreement. they got to at the same time. They testify to God being the Son of God in Jesus and that we at that same moment, through turning, through conversion, Jesus comes into us and we are put into Jesus. It's a moment that should radically change our lives. If we accept human testimony, in other words, the teaching of conversion that is throughout our centuries of teaching on Christianity, God's testimony is greater. So whatever human testimony you've accepted, I'm not judging you for that. I accepted all kinds of them. You look at different stages in my 23 years, man, they were all over the place. But the point is, man's testimony is not going to be the witness of your conversion. God's is. You've got to do what God says. What Jesus commanded. What His first disciples and followers practiced. You go look in the annals of Christian history, there was no praying Jesus in their heart until really the last few hundred years. Did not exist. No, no, it had to have. Why? Because of secularization. Because of adopting society rather than the kingdom of God, it changed, got corrupted, got twisted. To where now people, thanks Satan's rejoicing, they think they're Christians, they think they're converted, and they're not. Just like I was. There has to be a moment. Now, the main point of this section, because it says God's testimony is greater because it is God's testimony that He has given about His Son. The main point of this text, contextually, was that actually John is confronting a false teaching concerning the Christ. And I I need to give you a little bit of background because that's what this is emphasizing, but it's going to lead to something else. It says, they were teaching that basically Christ wasn't in the birth Jesus. That it was only at His baptism that Christ entered the man Jesus, and then at the cross exited the man Jesus. So Jesus just died like another human being. John is directly attacking us. No, He didn't just come by water. Christ didn't just come at the baptism. He came by blood and water. Where do we come by blood and water? Birth! Ask any mom in here and any dad who saw it. That's what he's saying. No, no, he did not come at that moment and leave at this moment. He is the Son of God. He came in the flesh by blood and water and the Spirit, which did descend at baptism. I do find that interesting. As many false doctrine believes, we can get the Spirit at any time. Yet even Jesus had the descending of the Spirit at baptism, at a moment. Hmm. And we want to do something other than what Jesus himself did and preached? Dangerous. What's interesting too is at those two moments, God emphasizes He's the Son of God. At His baptism, what do we hear? This is my beloved Son. 
in whom I'm well pleased. That was actually God's voice from heaven. People actually heard it. And then at the cross, he's already dead. So supposedly if the Christ exited, there'd be no point for this Roman centurion to say it. Truly, this was the Son of God. So even at those moments. But then when he raised up a couple days later, there was no doubt. Even though some doubted. But in the same way, it says these three testify. And they're in agreement. Spirit, water, blood. These testify that Jesus is the Son. How much you want to bet is we're going to study it out. That conversion is about this Son of God being in us and us being in the Son is going to probably require those three things too. Because that's what testifies to Jesus being the Son of God and us who are converted in Christ having Him in us and us being in Him. Look at this passage. This is, this is pretty cool. And most commentaries do say, outside of going into false teaching about Jesus, that this is also really talking about birthing language. About being this born again. Which, by the way, if conversion is being born again, and it's a process, do any of you moms want to be birthing for more than a day? Do you want to, like, birth for years? But if, if conversion is a process, then you have to be birthed for years. At what point do you come out? At what point do you grow up? I know it's hilarious, but that's what we're actually believing if we think conversion is a process over time. No, it is a moment. It is a birth. You're born, and then you have to grow up. you got to be fed. John 3, 1-8 hits this pretty quickly. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. And this is one of the most coolest passages about Jesus because Jesus replied, in other words, he answers a question that Nicodemus didn't even ask. And you go, well, how did he do that and why did he do that? Well, if you actually read the last verse of chapter 2 right before here, 225, it says, Jesus knows what's in the heart of man. So even though Nicodemus didn't verbally ask it, he's basically asking, so what's conversion, Jesus? <laughs> he didn't ask it, he didn't say it out loud, but Jesus knew what was in his heart, and so he goes, truly, because the Spirit doesn't lie. I tell you, unless someone is born again, not birthed, <laughs> Dot, 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 dot. Born. That means, and you're out. It's a moment. It's over. Now it's time to grow up. Okay? <laughs> Some of you may have had a little bit longer bloop, than others, but I understand that. <laughs> but if you're not born again, if there's not this moment, it says you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, it's obvious Nicodemus even understood this isn't a process. He understood, you're right, this has got to be a moment. Because he goes, how can anyone be born when he is old? How can an old man go back and do that moment that he did in the beginning of his life? It's a moment. He understood that. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time? Lord, please no. Especially as an older man. And be born? That's a rhetorical question. We know the answer to this. No. It's not a physical one. But there is something 
happening. And so, because he, Nicodemus is going, well, I can't physically be born again. It's got to be this other kind of moment than just a physical birth. It's got to involve a spiritual one. So what does Jesus add the very next statement? Jesus answered, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter. Not only can you not see it, You can't even enter it. You could believe. You can be healed. You can come around. You could have all these moments separately. But if you don't have that moment, you're not entering the kingdom of God. It must be a moment where water and spirit is involved. And that's this. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Even though blood's not mentioned in this passage, it's kind of alluding to it. If spirit can only give the birth to spirit, and we realize it's not being born again physically in the flesh, it's being born of the spirit, something has to happen to our flesh. It's got to die. And dying involves some bleeding. It involves some blood, and we're going to get to that, why blood is important, because the Bible makes very clear there's no forgiveness without blood. In our case, the blood of Jesus. And when do you come in contact with that? What is the moment that blood of Jesus happens? By faith. We're going to find out very clearly it's a moment. It's not a process. The same moment where all three testify, the water, the blood, and the Spirit got to be at the same time. Because that's the witness that Jesus is the Son of God, and if you're converted to Him, that is the moment He is in you and you are in Him. It's a moment. doesn't mean you don't need continual transformation. We'll say that for the next series. But there's a moment that it happens. You're born... Now it's time to grow up. But we've got to all be able to say, what is Bill conversion? Well, I can tell you exactly when mine was. It was this day at this time. Here's what happened to that moment. Here's what I did. Uh, this is what the Scriptures told me. I can tell you. It was January 12, 1991 at 10.20 p.m. in a hotel pool in Chatsworth, California. I know the day. I remember what happened. My life is different than it was. Doesn't mean I don't still have struggles. Doesn't mean I don't still have sins. But I am different. I'm striving to be more like Him and not like I was. It's a moment. It says, Do not be amazed that I told you you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. It's an internal thing that's taking place. It's a turning, a conversion that you can't even see. It's like the wind. You know it's happening, but you have no pictures of it. Yeah, you may do the outward thing of getting in the water, but if you're not getting in the water with the internal rights, the water, blood, and the Spirit at that moment, and understanding it, then you just got wet. You've got to have all three that testify. We saw the three things that he asks, the three times he makes the statement, unless, unless, you must be born again. So what is this change? I'll just briefly end with these. It's a change of mind. The metanoia. You've got to change how you think about everything. How do you think about men and women? You've got to change how you think about them, as Chris shared about. You've got to think differently. We've got to think of them as sons and daughters of God, not as objects of lust or passion or immorality. We've got to think differently. We've got to think differently about people who don't agree with us. It's got to be a change of mind. It's got to be a change of view. How you view God, how you view yourself, how you view sin, how you view Christ. 
It's got to be a change of affection. It's a brokenness over our sins, and therefore a gratitude that leads devotion to righteousness like Him. It's got to be a change of will. Denial of my will in order to do His will. And lastly, and most importantly, it kind of encompasses the whole conversion process and moment that ends, it's not forever, to change the direction. It's turning from an old life to a new life. Conversion is a moment when radical change leads to continual transformation. This moment, if there is a moment, then there's a before, and then there's an after. Now, we're in the next few weeks, we're going to study out each individually the three that testify. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. But I want to end with this. If you look at these passages, I'll just put them up there, and you read those passages, it very clearly shows a moment that conversion takes place. But it also describes the before that moment and the after that moment. And that moment wasn't over years of time. What did it show? It showed before you suppressed the truth. Or after you're baptized into His death. It said before your thinking became futile. Or after you're raised from the dead. It said before foolish hearts were darkened. Or after it said you may live a new life. Before it said you're dead in sin. But after it sin might be done away with. Before it said gratifying the flesh, or after it says no longer slaves to sin. Before it was darkened in their understanding, or after it is you're set free from sin. Before it was ignorant, a hardening of the heart, or after it is you're alive with Christ. Before it says you were lost in all sensitivity, or after you put off the old self. Before it was giving themselves over to sin, or after it says made new in the attitude of the mind. Or before it says indulging in every kind of impurity. Or after it's putting on a new self. Before where it was blinded minds. To after where it's created to be like God. To before you cannot see the light of the gospel. But where after Christ's light shines in our hearts. Two weeks will begin. Three that testify. But let us understand conversion. It's a moment. We'll save transformation for another series. Let's go to God in prayer and we'll be dismissed. Lord God, we are grateful because our lives absolutely need an after compared to our before. When our sinful natures, our desires, our own will killed Your Son. But we are thankful that He did not remain in death, but He raised again and has now given us a moment that we too can imitate and follow where our life can be radically transformed. And though we still need to continue to grow to become more like You, there should be a definitive moment where conversion takes place. We pray as we study this out, the three that testify, the Spirit, the water and the blood, that we will see without a doubt that there is a specific moment where our lives are changed from darkness to light, from dead to eternal. Help us to be humble. Help us to no longer just hold on to man's testimony. But let us embrace, even if we don't agree with it, God's testimony of what it means 
to be in Christ and for Christ to be in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.